today we have a, a very informed two-part uh, lectures, demo, whatever. And the first up to bat, who I'm going to be introducing here in just a second, is um, Lois here. And she's got uh, a couple of books. Lois Phillips, by the way. She has this book and this book. And I'm showing these off to you now because she's, we're, we're, this is a late panel and she came late to the game and she wasn't there for the bookshop. So she didn't have all the opportunity that others of us have had. So you can uh, connect with her after um, if you want to get some stuff. And she's got business cards. She's prepared. She was a Girl Scout, I can tell. So, uh, and she's got a one hell of a bio here, so I'm going to bounce around to it just to give you a sense of who we, who we have here with us. And she's going to speak for about an hour, and then we're going to go, and she's going to be doing basically uh, podcasts and interviews, and then I'm going to step in and take the handoff from her, and I'm going to talk about uh, podcasts, which I've done a ton of, both, both sides of the microphone, so to speak. And then I've also done audiobooks, so I'm going to transition over from Lois over to my audiobook cohorts and hand it off to them, and we're going to cover it. And all of us are reachable afterwards through, you know, the wonderful internet um, most of the time. And uh, you'll be able to get more information if you need it, so I want to make that clear. So uh, Lois Phillips founding CEO of Antioch University, Santa Barbara. She did tons of university-wide degree programs. She facilitated corporate partnerships. She produced conferences. She designed branding campaigns. She's been a keynote speaker for colleges and universities, business conferences, including Boston University Alumni Conference. That's my hometown. Um, it just goes on and on and on. She's done ethnic uh, diversity forums. Uh, leadership conferences for Southern California executives. She's content producer and host of a well-received cable TV program, Women's Spectrum, co-host of Dialogues on a local NPR station. She's been uh, interviewed a bunch herself um, and is active in lots of different, you know, Me Too movements and women's status in business. And I can, um, I can write a book just on her bio, but I want to give you a sense of the depth of the uh, knowledge and experience that she has here. And then just very, very quickly, her partner in crime here, Anita Perez Ferguson, is also a PhD, and she's working together, and she's the co-author of this book. And she's back there, so if you want to tackle her afterwards, I have pointed her out. So there you have it. So without going on too long, uh, please welcome Lois Phillips. Uh, thank you so much, Matt. That was very generous of you. And um, unfortunately, I wasn't here for much of the conference, but I did attend a few panels. And um, it was really interesting uh, listening to the speakers through the lens of um, public speaking and, and all the work I've done to learn about the criteria for evaluating speakers, because some were fantastic and really hit it out of the park as speakers. And others were, I could see, more reticent, uh, less able to really be articulate about their books. And uh, the panel moderators were good in making sure that everybody had a chance to speak. But 
Um, I always love attending events like this because I'm always thinking about, you know, what could they have done? Oh, they missed a chance. So um, I am going to ask you to be patient and let me get through some of the ideas that I want to share with you today, and I'll take questions at the end. And um, Anita has a microphone so we can all hear the questions, which is another thing I've noticed can be frustrating. And I want to hear your question, but I want everybody to hear your question. And uh, we're going to do some role plays so that you'll get a sense of what it's like to do a podcast if you haven't yet. And also, um, see what else. I have a summary sheet at the end. So it's more of a skeleton of the key points that I'm going to make when I go through the list of suggestions for you to get ready to be on a podcast and to be successful. So um, I wanted to start by um, thanking Grace Ratchow, wherever you are, Grace, we know you are in nine places at once. She has cloned herself. There's no doubt about it. Uh, thank her for inviting me to speak. I did this uh, same workshop with a different, from a different point of view when Marsha Meyer was the producer of the event, and I talked about interview skills for authors. And I learned a lot from that that actually helped me coach other people. So I think you'll learn from the role play at the end, and then we'll turn it over to Matt, and he knows so much about um, the way in which uh, guests should sound to be at their best. Uh, I wanted to say that I've been on a lot of podcasts, and I've learned from each one what to do, what not to do, but they've been fun because they're conversations. On the other hand, they're not just any conversation because think about it. This conversation that you have with a podcast host can live on in perpetuity unless we learn how to bribe them to take it off if we're not happy with it um, or some dreadful thing happens in cyberspace. So you, you really want to think about it in advance. Um, and I'm going to start by just sharing with you the fact that my own, uh, my own experience uh, with my associate, Anita, uh, led us to decide to promote this book, this book, The Speaker's Journal, by producing podcasts ourselves. We'd never done it before. We definitely had to uh, finance it, but it was a great experience. Um, Anita, Dr. Per Anita Perez-Ferguson and I had collaborated on several books, um, but we wanted to get the word out and to try this technology. And uh, we hired a professional sound technician a friend of ours was a TV broadcaster. She did the opening intro. And uh, what we did was to take every chapter in the book and talk about it in five-minute interviews. And we took turns playing podcast host and podcast guest. So we alternated. I think I did. I think she did all the odd numbers, and I did all the even numbers in the book of 10 chapters, and there were five minutes. And um, what we did to promote it was to certainly do a big e-blast to our friends, former associates, colleagues, friends, family, post it on a Facebook page, uh, Women's Seen and Heard Facebook, it's still on there, and uh, use LinkedIn. Uh, and our professional associations. Uh, I'm an active member of the UCSB Alumni Association. They have 100,000 members on their website. That's another tip. 
Uh, by the way, don't forget, if you went to a college or a university, the three that I went to have about 100,000 people connected to the alumni magazine. So, you know, we were putting our minds together about how to collaborate and promote this podcast. And um, I thought I would play just a quick sample for you so you can hear what we did for the first time. We would certainly do things a little differently, but we had a lot of fun with it. And I hope you think about this also, taking the initiative and being entrepreneurial about promoting your book. So. Welcome to the Women Seen and Heard podcast. Want to become a more confident presenter and conference speaker? Meet Anita Perez-Ferguson and Lois Phillips, who are the co-authors of the Women Seen and Heard Speakers Journal, and they want to share what they've learned about women's speaking styles from their professional speaking careers. In each weekly podcast, they'll select and take turns responding to one prompt taken from the speaker's journal. In the closing moment, they offer a simple single tip you can put to use right away. Enjoy. Lois, let's talk today about flawless presentations. You know, it means that a presentation that affects the listener. Not one thing needs to be changed. Based on your criteria for excellence, how do you define flawless? What reactions might determine whether your presentation is or isn't flawless? In general, all good presentations are crafted so that you accomplish your purpose, which was to communicate a particular message to a particular audience. Any good presentation has a key point to make, is well organized, and respects the time allotted. But in a flawless presentation, your delivery is the key to success. So there you have it. It's just the beginning. It's five minutes. But you can see that having the professional audio person and the professional announcer gave it a little bit of a snap. And he was the one who suggested the music. And they all start the same way, by the way. So, um, but we covered 10 chapters in that. And um, my co-author, um, Anita Perez-Ferguson, is very experienced and has been on NPR and many other places. So. You know, we learn from each other. So today, I'm going to really do a boots-on-the-ground presentation with a lot of tips for you and some suggestions. And according to the blurb, Truth in Advertising, I'm supposed to cover the following things. How to prepare yourself for the interview in terms of getting organized, your content, your voice and delivery, uh, and considerations of who's listening. And then I'm going to talk about the questions that you might expect and the tough ones. And you have a sheet that, uh, and if you don't raise your hand, of 90, provo no, 40 provocative questions that you might be asked, including some basic questions that I put at the bottom of the sheet. And the first one is, um, you know, what's your book about? And in the coaching, I can't tell you how many people look at me, you know, and feel like they were blindsided. And these are authors who spent years writing their books. So you have to make sure you know how to explain what your book is about. And I'm going to end by talking a little bit about male and female um, differences in speaking style. Because in a way, each answer you give is like a little speech. It has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you want your responses to be on point and on purpose. So I'm going to begin by talking about you know, the before. 
and then I'll talk about the during, and then I'll talk about the after. So let's say you're lucky enough to get an invitation from a podcast producer uh, who finds you your book and wants to interview you. You really have to be organized because life happens, stuff happens, there's always competing priorities. So I recommend that people put pull out a file folder and a notepad and start to get organized. And the cover sheet really needs to be uh, a reminder about, you know, the, first of all, um, your date, you know, whether it's audio or you'll be recorded visually, a TV, Zoom type thing. Um, and the reference sheet has to include um, the time, whether it's, you know, uh, which, which time zone you're in, and that has led to some real messes for people. Um, and, um, you know, the name of the show, the website, any salient information about the podcast producer. So you've got it all handy. And um, it's going to be in your calendar, and it, it's going to be a sacred time that you will not forget about. Um, you want to jot down on the second sheet a first-person bio, a few sentences you can say about yourself if he says, tell me about yourself. And you don't want to start thinking about the day in the cradle. You want to have a few things to say, can't go on for hours. Then you want to jot down a short list of key talking points about the book, things you want to make sure people understand. Did you do a lot of research? Um, was it something you thought up one night from a dream you had? Was it based on a real experience? Is it about a celebrity? Uh, were there legal uh, you know, um, aspects of preparing the book? But just jot down a few phrases so that you remember things that would be interesting to people, and basically why they should buy it. That's the point of this. It isn't just a chit-chat. It has a purpose. And then um, if you're able to get questions in advance, make sure you have some brief answers to those questions. They may just say, you know, we'll talk about these three things and give you general, a general idea. Um, and here's an interesting one. Just remember that being a great podcast host isn't about just answering the questions. It's really about the stories you can tell. And so think of a, a few stories that you might tell. It could be a pivoting moment in your life when you turn the corner. It could be uh, something um, that stalled you finishing your book. You broke your leg. Uh, the person you were interviewing got sick or got divorced, and you had to um, stop everything for a while. COVID happened. That's always a good one. Uh, many things, many things that um, would be interesting, not, not to your mother, just, but to people who are strangers. And um, you know, you want to unfurl them at the drop of a hat. You just want to have them ready. So you just need a phrase to remind you. You want to make sure that, um, that your schedule is clear for the week before this podcast. You don't want to get distracted. You want to keep your life stable. You don't want to have any crises. You want to make sure you have smooth sailing. And um, also that you have um, the time, the day of, to just clear everything away. 
I've heard a lot of podcasts with bizarre noises. In one case, I was sure it was some beautiful wind chimes outside the window, and I had this, the guest pictured in her garden. In fact, it was her earrings, which she referred to in the middle of it. And there were barking dogs. You've probably all seen that TV interview with a journalist from somewhere in the world whose baby kept running back and forth, uh, and the, the wife was chasing it, and it was just like out of a, uh, a comedy, and he was humiliated. So you want to make sure there's no dogs, there's no children crying. Um, if you can, no fire engines. And I've heard that people actually have done podcasts in their closet because that, they knew the sound would be good. Lisa Angle is laughing. I know you know that's true. Um, you want to think about, um, you know, where you where people can find you because at the end of the podcast, usually the person will say, "Where can my listeners find you?" And it could be, um, you know, one of many things. It could be my website or uh, LinkedIn, etc. But you don't want to go through a list of places. You want to have one place. They can, um, they can find you. So if he asked me or they asked me, I'd say, my website is, and I would spell it, L-O-I-S-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S dot C-O-M. So um, you want to make sure that's going to happen. You want to familiarize with the listeners. Who listens to this podcast? And what do the shows sound like? I've been listening to a podcast called Wiser Than Me with Julia uh, Louis-Dreyfus, and she says, yes, the best. And it's fantastic. She just had an interview is, uh, with Isabel Allende. And I know now, if I were ever to be so lucky to be on her show, what she's like as an interviewer. She makes you feel comfortable. She's very funny. Uh, and it would be Hey Girlfriend very fast. Um, some shows have a bit they do. They ask the same question to end the show. You know, what's the one most important thing you want your readers to know? Would be that kind of a question. Um, you want to have the best technology. You want to have the best microphone, uh, the best headset, the best uh, computer. You know, borrow, borrow one if you must. But. Um, that's absolutely critical, and I've heard several journalists recommend Logitech as Logitech C920. And um, now let's talk about during the interview. To be a great guest, there are five things you should do. And the first is you want to personalize it and let the person know you know them, because often it's first names. So, when Terry Gross calls me, I would say, Terry, I'm so delighted to be on this podcast. Um, should that ever happen in my dreams? But you are just that. You're a guest. You're one of many. It still tells the hosts that you respect them and that you appreciate what they do. This is not a courtroom appearance. It has to be informal and lively. Second, your answers have to be concise. Usually, it's about 40 minutes. And sometimes the host wants to intersperse an advertiser or a supporter or a donor. So you don't want to go on and on. And you want to give the host some breathing room so they can uh, interrupt if they need to or if they're running short of time, which can happen. And then you realize, I never really got to the thing I really wanted to say. You never want to ask for a do-over. It's just 
very difficult for podcast producers. We're not talking about you know a corporate TV station with lots of resources. They don't have time to do editing, unless there it's it's you really messed up, and then you can beg. But um, you need to ask for it immediately, not the day it is airing. And it doesn't always air, and you will know when it's airing. Um, I would add that you are referencing prior episodes on this show if you've listened. So I would say to Julia, I love the interview with Isabel Allende and the way that you got her to talk about her book in an, the freshest way I couldn't have imagined. And then you want to have a specific call to action for listeners. You want to tell the audience how to connect with you and offer them something special. If the listeners are interested, they can have a two-for-one offer. Go to my website and spell it out again. Whatever it is, you have to think about what you're willing to give away, if anything. And I think Anita and I have talked about doing recorded brief uh, bits on our uh, phones, even, and posting them on Facebook, talking about each chapter and making one point that we do and quoting something interesting. Uh, you want to prepare in advance for tough questions. There may be something that you really do not want to have addressed. And I'm not talking about a DUI or a felony, because I know nobody in this room has anything like that going on. But there may be a time in your life when you, know, you had a crisis in your family, um, and she or he or they would not know. You can say, I, I'll talk about my family, but not this period. Um, or I'll talk about my business, but not why I had to close it, the bankruptcy. So make sure that you do that. And um, you know, you can say to the, if you don't know the answer to a question, it's really okay to say, that's really challenging. I need to think about that for a minute. But the trick here is to bridge to the key point that you want to make. And I have an acronym I'll share. It's ABC. And A stands for acknowledge the question, B is bridge to what you want to say, and then communicate that key point, which you can say right after that suggestion. But I do want you to know that this book took an extra three years because of COVID. And that's why it was delayed. That's just an example. I want to just um, end here at this point by saying a few things about gender differences and the way in which men and women speak uh, that might be an, um, important to you to think about because I hope that you'll practice at home before any interview with some of the questions you imagine you'll be asked or even these provocative ones that I've suggested and listen to how you sound. You don't want to sound, uh, you don't want to speak in a monotone. Uh, you don't want to sound like Marilyn Monroe and you don't want to be using upward inflections which make your statements sound like they're questions. You want to be direct and to the point. You've probably heard about the book, and we use the phrase, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. But all the research, which, and I've spent a lot of time looking at it, indicates that men and women do have different speaking styles, different ways of delivering. And um, I just want to alert you to a few things to avoid. Men tend to be much more direct and succinct. It's very unusual for a man to go on and on, unless they're a politician. But anyway, Claudia will know. Um, but if you have your key points handy, you won't fall into these traps. But 
For example, Deborah Tannen, who is a linguist, wrote about it in uh, You Don't Understand and Talking from 9 to 5 about business communication. And uh, women are often very modest about what they know, and that can lead them to a tentative style of speaking. Now, you really are bragging about your book. Let's, that's the bottom line, man or woman. You're there to talk about what is so great about what you've written and why people should buy your book. It's very special. Um, your, their lives will be changed by it. So if you're modest psychologically, this is tough. You don't want to be seen as somebody who's self-serving or self-aggrandizing, but really, why else are you at that microphone? You are talking about something outstanding that you have done. Um, and one of the examples that she gave is the women's tendency to use hedges, qualifiers, lengthy prefaces, and I'll give you a couple of examples. So a hedge could be, perhaps this is true. Uh, it might be true. It's probably true. And uh, a qualifier would be um, possibly, maybe, it would seem that this happens, it appears. So these are all ways, I'm not sure this is important, uh, would be a way to preface the statement. I'm not sure this is important, but the main character is based on a former president. <laughs> not really. Very important. So you don't want to undermine a shocking statement that will make people interested in you. Um, so I want to stop here, but I just want to say that um, if you're prepared, you'll have answers that are on point, on message, and they will communicate to people that this book is a must read. They absolutely have to have it. And maybe they'll think of someone they know and love that they could uh, gift the book to. Um, but I want you to um, pick up the summary sheet after we're finished because you'll see everything I've said is abbreviated in there. But in closing, I'll say by taking the time to prepare with intention, you'll ensure that your guest appearance isn't a standalone, once-in-a-lifetime experience. There'll be other people who will want to pick you up for interviews. You can use an excerpt on your website. Uh, on any material you do later. You can get a recorded copy of it for your own purposes, which is great, and I'm so grateful that they're recording this today. It's a wonderful perk. Uh, and you can also, um, yeah, you can also learn from it and realize I, I missed an opportunity to really convey the most important thing about this book. So it's a lesson learned, and you'll get better with each interview that you do. It's a robust asset in your whole marketing strategy. Thank you very much. So I'll take questions. And Anita, we have a microphone. Um, anybody have any questions? I covered a lot of to-dos. There's one in the back. And, um, and we have another one in the front. We'll start with the person in the back. Okay, I've done some public speaking. I would just love to hear what was the question that was like the most jarring you were unprepared for question in your past and how did you deal with it? You know, in terms of a podcast, a podcast question. Did you all hear that? We're going to make sure this okay. is she on and have <laughs> Okay, when you were doing, when you have been doing podcasts in the past, what was the most 
jarring, out of left field, uncomfortable question you ever received. How did you deal with it? Uh, I'm sure I can think of a few, but um, I remember I did an interview with Jerry Roberts, who's a journalist, and he asked me a question about, you know, I think it was something to do with being a flaming radical feminist or something, which is not the way I wanted to come across in that interview. But I, the great thing about that interview is I know him. And so I was able to bounce back with some humor, and it was very conversational. It was really fun. That's why the prep is so important. You know, the person may live in Kansas. There's no way that you can have a relationship with that person. But the more that you listen to their podcast, you'll have a feeling for them and whether they'll throw something crazy at you. Um, I'm, you know, it's right now my mind is so stimulated that I'm, I know there are others that are much worse. I'm gonna take a chance worse. with that one, Lois, because um, as Lois's cohort and having Washington DC experience on NPR one time, I was talking about working with, uh, in the White House with President Clinton and it was a gotcha moment for the MC. Did he ever put hands on you? <laughs> that was the question that I got that just hit me between the eyes. And I did Lois's ABC. I acknowledged it. You're asking if he ever touched me? And uh, that's an interesting question. I'll tell you, he reached out to me to ask me about public policy for women in work. He reached out to me to talk about girls' scholarships. He reached out to me in a lot of ways, and I appreciate it. I guess we should add, in, in addition to the list of don't do's, that you know, a good interview can open so many doors by people who are listening to it. Yes, okay, so we, need, we have one up here, Anita. Okay, all right, we'll, we'll take hers, and then we'll come back up here. Um, this happened to me last night on the memoir panel. Is it okay to ask the interviewer not to ask you a specific question? Um, it came up, I wrote a memoir, Bipolar, A Gift of Thorns, and it was a very honestly, brutally honest story. And they said to me, what was the most difficult hard to write, and I didn't want to go into that particular scene. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, can you say, don't ask me this particular question? You know, that is such a great question, because in a way, I, if I were coaching you, I would say, be prepared for that question, and find a way to answer it. And you don't have to give specifics. You can say, that was difficult for me because I was overly emotional about the same um, kind of incident. You don't, have to, you don't have to give away the store. And in fact, the more you tease people who are listening, the better. So you want to leave them wanting more. OK, we have somebody up here, Anita. Let's try the mic, just for the people in the back. OK, I just want to answer that before I ask, because mine is just a technical thing. Uh, I have done a lot of interviews, and when I was asked a question that I was very uncomfortable about myself being interviewed, I changed it around and said, the people that are interviewed are so brave, I'm not as brave as they are. Oh. And I gotta tell you, it stops 
that question right mm -hmm. right in mm -hmm. its track. But uh, my question was when you talked about the best technology and you said it very fast, like Langer Tech, or I didn't know what it was. Mm. What? what? I think Matt will know, have a better answer. Go ahead, do you have an answer? I will wait till his turn. See, tease, we're teasing you. Matt has a better answer, stay tuned. But it was a Logitech. Okay, somebody else, anybody else have a question? Okay, we're gonna do a little uh, role play. Anita, will you come up here? And then anybody else who would like to do a role play? Right, we have time for two. Anybody else would like to talk about their book? Okay. Okay, you can just stand. Keep the mic. Okay, uh, so we're going to share the mic. Yes, you want to volunteer? Oh, good. Okay, we have two. We have a couple. Okay, these will be quick. Um, good morning, everyone. I'm so pleased to have as my guest today Anita Perez Ferguson. Dr. Ferguson is an author as well as a keynote conference speaker with a very stellar record in higher education and politics. And she has written a series of books and I'm gonna ask her about them today so we can learn more about what they're about and why we should buy them. Welcome, Anita. Thank you, so glad to be here to talk about my Mission Bells trilogy for teens. Tell us, uh, tell us a few things about yourself in terms of your background and why you wrote these, these books. I am what the teachers call a late bloomer, a second generation Mexican American in the United States that never read anything in grade school because it didn't seem to remain, re relate to me or to the family that I came from. So you were inspired to fill that gap, is that right? That's for sure, and because our state used to be Mexico, uh, and not many students realize that, I knew there were stories to be told about people coming from the South and building this territory long ago. Now, I know personally that you're from a big family because we've talked about your background privately, and um, I'm so interested in the fact that this, this book is for a targeting young adults. Talk, talk to me about why you didn't write similar themes but dealing with adult characters. You know, I still have some of those remnants of feeling a little bit behind the eight ball on my own education and learning, even though I now have a PhD. And I wanted to speak to the students that are just coming fresh out of their English as a second language class. I wanted them to see words that they could manage. I wanted them to see some Spanish phrases that they already knew. And I wanted them to see their own background in that book. Now what about writing this book? I know that you had to shift gears and make a pivot in your life in order to commit to it. What is your writing habit? How do you keep yourself focused? I don't know if you thought about all three books when you sat down with page one, but talk about your craft and how you're organized to keep moving forward with a trilogy, no doubt. Well, I really didn't have a lot of background or any MFA or writing training. And so the people at the Santa Barbara 
Writers' Conference became my tutors, and year after year as I attended, I was able to take piece by piece how to actually get that concept going, how to have the discipline to move forward, and how to use others with expertise to do the critiques, and then move on to the sales. Now, in your book, you talk about how the characters had to overcome huge challenges coming at them from many fronts. What would you say is the biggest challenge you had to confront in your life? I would say just the simple fact of to keep trying, even though my horizons were limited as a kid, to take the next step. And writers' conferences, the classes at adult education, the types of things that I was able to activate and help to have my own self-taught career were the things that kept me going rather than formal education at a big university where I could learn to be a writer. So if people were interested in this book, where would they go to buy the book? My books are available online, not only on Amazon, but Kobo, Barnes & Noble, and all the regular outlets. They're in two formats. Uh, one for those early readers that want to scribble in the margins, paperback books, and also in e-books. We also have the opportunity to have them free at public libraries through the public library system. And I've been focusing on wholesale outlets to work with librarians and teachers rather than doing what I call onesies and twosies sales that can take forever. Thank you very much, Anita. We'll be talking again. Thanks again. <laughs> Okay, so we had a couple of people. Okay, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to you, and then we'll end up there. We'll do them pretty fast. I want to stay on track here. Okay. Welcome, Calla Gold. I'm so glad that you made time for my podcast, and we're going to hear about your book. So tell us the title and what it's about. Dr. Phillips, I really appreciate you inviting me onto your excellent podcast, which I have enjoyed so much, especially your interviews with Anita Perez Ferguson. My book is Design Your Dream Wedding Rings from Engagement to Eternity. It is a book about jewelry design, nichifying itself to wedding rings, but giving the information that a woman or man would need for any piece of jewelry that they want to design from their heart. So did you always want to be a writer? Were you someone who got an MFA or saw yourself as a screenwriter? I mean, was this part of your plan to write this book? It was definitely not part of my plan to write this book. What happened was, years ago, I found myself answering the same questions over and over again, and I was spending an inordinate amount of my sales time educating. So I started a blog, and after 10 years of blogging the frequently asked questions, I started really thinking, this could be a book, and it just excited me, the idea of leaving a book behind once I was retired and something that some of my jeweler friends who used my blogs on their clients could use as well. So you wanted to leave a legacy in a way by writing this book and it was very important to you. Did anything change for you in the writing of the book? Did you, did you feel that you were done being a jeweler or, and wanted a new life as a result of completing it? 
The interesting thing is, for me, writing the book and really downloading my information for people did make me feel like I could move on. I could switch gears. I could look at other interests that I had and not be hyper-focused on workaholicking my way crazy about being a jeweler. And I am actually retired um, five years after the publication of my book. So is there a favorite writer or uh, of any genre that you were attracted to that made you interested in, in the meaning of, of, of books? Is there someone you loved or a style of writing that you love personally? All right, I was telling my husband about a book last night that he hasn't read, I'm having a cow, I'm gonna go buy it and give it to him. Where the Red Fern Grows. When I read Where the Red Fern Grows, I sobbed my eyes out. I had so much empathy for those characters and I wanted to share that book when my son was growing up because I wanted him to have more empathy. And I think that reading good books that are about characters you love that experience a pain at a distance from you makes you more capable of empathizing, sympathizing, and being able to help someone when they're in pain. So let me ask you this, now that I have talked to you, I feel that you're a person with great empathy. Do you feel that you're someone who has superpowers of some sort, someone who has that complexity or special unique talent, just as a person. And if you do, what is your superpower? My superpower is persistence and not giving up. And when people tell me, no, that is ridiculous. You cannot have a horse. How about a kitten? And you know, five years later, I've bought my horse at 13. I'm that person, and I love that. You know, I'm thinking about your energy and your interest and passion for jewelry, but, you know, who should buy this book? Is it really designed for jewelers only or people who love their jewelry collection? I wrote this book for jewelry lovers, jewelry dabblers, and fellas that want to design a ring for the lady they love and say I love you by taking the time to find out how to make a ring that won't break and that will be beautiful and that will say I love you day after day reliably and last like their marriage. So where can people find this book? Obviously they want it. I can feel the vibes coming through cyberspace. <laughs> My book is available on Amazon. Thank you so much, Calla Gold. Okay, we have, yeah. So according to the time I have, we have about barely 10 minutes left. Does that sound good? Okay. I have a big clock up here on the stage. Yes. With Calla as yes. it was happening. Yes, that was quite lovely. Thank oh, you. thank you. But you know, you have a few. You have your cheat sheet. So I did look at it a few times, especially the superpower question. She's a thank problem. you. She's a She's a okay. Um, so, <laughs> Don Okay. So today my guest is James Donborough, and we're going to be talking about his latest book. Um, I'm so glad you could be here today. Tell us the title, and tell us why you wrote the book. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. I did enjoy your interview with Julia Louise Dreyfus. 
<laughs> and um, my book is called The Gambler's Game, and it's the true story of the only American to break the bank at Monte Carlo playing roulette. And you wrote this book because you play roulette? <laughs> I do now. <laughs> I had to learn. Uh, he was also a baseball player, and I, I had no idea anything about baseball. I'm from England, so I know about cricket. But so I had to learn all about baseball as well as roulette and interview a lot of people and, and do quite a bit of traveling as well. So who should read this book? It sounds like it could be for everyone or it could be for just a few folks. This is for anybody who's interested in what it was like towards the end of the frontier time in the Wild West. Because the character in this book, who's Bill Darmer, who was my grandfather, he used to set up his own roulette wheel in the old saloons in the Wild West, and it was pretty dangerous. So there's that, and there's baseball, because he was a baseball player. And then it's, there's sort of the, the gritty Gilded Age meets Downton Abbey as he travels to Europe. And he spends many, many years in Monte Carlo and Paris and London. And so it's, kind of, it's got a bit of everything, really. Uh, well, you say it has a bit of everything, but does it have romance? Of course it has romance. <laughs> it absolutely has romance. It's not always what you think it would be, as with real life. But uh, it's, it's, you know, this is a true story, but it's remarkably like Dostoyevsky's original The Gambler. In that, you know, does he get the girl, doesn't he get the girl? Does he, does he realize that the girl's more important than the money and the cars uh -huh. and the independence? And so, I have to read the book to find out. Okay, so now we're getting somewhere. Um, so, what was the meaning of writing this book for you? It sounds as if it could have some profound personal meaning, and if it did, how do you feel you might have been changed by writing it? It's had a profound effect on me because he, he was born in 1869, so I know I look good for my age, but we never met. He didn't discuss this with uh, anyone in the family. So even my cousins who knew him as an old man, he never discussed any of this part of his life with anybody. So to go down this journey was extraordinary for me to discover. And it's extraordinary how much you can find. You know, the newspaper archives are available on the internet, and I want to shout out to all the people who spend their lives scanning newspaper articles from towns small and big across the land to, to make uh, research for a project like that uh, a lot easier. But uh, I think it's given me uh, a newfound respect for what life was like around the turn of the last century in America, where I think people were a lot more resilient and had to really think on their feet. Mm -hmm. So how resilient are you? Tell us a little bit about a turning point in your personal life in which you had to show resilience. I've done some pretty crazy things in my life, but I don't think I've ever been more afraid than when I embarked on this writing a whole book because it was, it was suggested to me that it be a screenplay. And actually, my wife said, no, you need to go on this whole journey. You need to write the book. And I had two years, visited five countries, and interviewed so many people. And it's terrifying that now you're all going to get to read it. 
But, uh, I mean, you know, I did my first parachute jump when I was 16 in the British Army, and that was a walk in the park compared to this. <laughs> so where can people find this book? Absolutely everywhere. Uh, you, you know, you can, you can just get it on your phone, on, uh, on, on Amazon. You can go to Amazon and uh, Goodreads and all good online bookstores and uh, Waterstones in London and Barnes and Noble in America. And, the and there's an e-book and there's an audio book and uh, probably in Braille as well. And it's <laughs> called the, the Gambler's... It's called The Gambler's Game. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much, James. This was great. Thank you. It was really fun. Um, I think I'm going to stop here because you've gotten more than enough uh, and you've seen and heard from me more than enough. And I, I want to let you know how much fun I had with you and I hope you got some tips from this that will be helpful to you. Uh, I want you to be more aggressive in seeking out podcasts at uh, the bottom of the sheet you'll pick up as you leave, uh, which is the summary, I have some suggested places to go to find uh, opportunities to be on podcasts. And there's something called uh, podcastmatch.com, which will try to find a good fit between you and various podcasts. I know you know about all the others on you know the big stations and the uh, reviews of books in major outlets. But there are so many opportunities to be interviewed. And now you have some tools to prepare yourself and for being at your best during the interview and for making sure you make good use of the podcast afterwards. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Lois, for a great presentation. She's got some really good information in there, and it's worth paying attention to. Uh, I bridge the worlds because I do podcasts and audiobooks, and um, I prefer being on other people's podcasts because every time I'm on somebody else's podcast, it's a whole new audience, and that really makes a difference. I have one of my own, but I don't do live things on there. And what happens a lot is once you get on a podcast, and if you're popular, you will get more people coming to you. Just next week, I've got three of them lined up. And I was lucky enough to get on a show. Some of you guys may have heard of it. It's called Coast to Coast. It's been on for 47 years. Um, it's th still the most widely listened to nighttime talk show radio in the country. And the numbers have gone down a little bit. But I'm, um, I'm now a returning guest, and, and I'm part of the UFO Bigfoot conspiracy crowd. I'm the shaman, shamanism guy in altered states. But every time I've been on there, I've gotten bigger and bigger spikes in book sales. And every time I get on there, I've had other television shows and podcasts approach me. I heard you on Coast to Coast. You were really good. Will you, will you be on mine? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll hold a gun to my head, right? Because the more you get on, the better. Um, 
I love what Lois said about, I think she called it hedging. I always get on there and I say, look, everything I have to say is the truth in my universe. Doesn't make it so in yours, and you can totally disagree, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not here to convert you. You know, you want to talk about it, great, but this is just my perspective. It's only mine, and you can take it or leave it. I don't care. You know, I'm fine with it. And then I also tell them, I'm an open book. No questions are off limits. I'm a little different in many respects. I like spontaneity, and I, and I love being uh, broadsided. I live for that because I can spin it, and I like to think on my feet, and I really, really know my material. So I have all these things in little, little tapes in my head that I can play, they ask the question, and bang, I get on the rabbit hole, and I'm like, rain me in if I go too long. And um, more often than not, they're like, my God, this was amazing, will you come back? Hell yes, I'll come back, right? So um, how you get it across, and, and what Lois said, is you're essentially sort of sitting down in the living room with somebody and talking. And the more you can be on point, but relaxed, the better you can be. And you want to have your material covered. Many of them want questions up front. Please give us 15 questions. You give them 15 questions. Anything they ask for, give them. They want a headshot, they want a little bio. Because a lot of them do very nice um, landing pages with all your information on there, and they really do a classy job, so it's worthwhile. The wonderful thing about podcasts is that they keep going in perpetuity. Even this Coast to Coast show, it's AM radio. And typically I'm on from midnight till two in the morning, right? <laughs> well, I timed the last one. I was actually on the air for, for 45 minutes and the other hour and 15 minutes was commercials, right? In AM radio, right? But I have a guy who records them. He takes out all the commercials. He gives them to me. I post them on my little podcast thing and I send out the URL on Facebook. And it goes on. And they stay there. And sometimes I'll get, oh, that was a great podcast you did on that show. And I'm thinking to myself, that was five years ago. Wow, thank you. You know, like that. But it is a very effective tool. And the audio thing, which I'm, I'm, I'm easing toward the audiobook stuff, um, is a lot of these younger people don't read these days. And I call it attention span theater. And a lot of them now are also doing, um, they're just going right to YouTube. And I've been on a number of television shows that came from the first one, and they just keep coming in. And people like to listen. Even people who do read, they like to listen to them on the way to work. The other great thing is I have all my podcasts and stuff listed on my website, so they can come and get valuable content without having to put out any money. And then if they want to go further, they can go with the audiobook or the, or the e-book or the tree book, whatever. But it's really a happening trend. So it's, it's worth paying attention to. And you get really good exposure because people are listening. So um, I don't want to belabor that, but I wanted to touch on that and kind of, I'm doing a transition thing here to my, my, my partners in crime here. Um, so I did some research. My first audio book I narrated and I was been on a radio show in Laguna Beach a number of times and he got the, the studio, let us use their studio to do the audio book the first time. And that was great. We wanted to kill each other by the time we were done. He was the producer director and he was on me, but he was right. He's like, when he's like, you know, this is part of my memoir, right? You just had this problem with this guy, I pulled the knife on you and you act like it was like no big deal. I said, well, you know, it's happened a bunch of times. So sort of, he goes, no, you gotta dramatize this. I'm like, okay, so then I went and I dramatized it. 
And we went through it, and we did the first 30 pages of it, and then I decided that they all sucked, so we just went back and started over again. But it took that long to get warmed up. But he coached me a lot, and then I went and, and uh, I had hired some narrators. You can do a deal on ACX, uh, which is audio, uh, Audible Amazon, and it doesn't cost you anything. But you can do your own thing. You can either do a 50-50 production deal, and I can talk more about this later if anybody wants to know. But you can do a 50-50 production deal where you hire the narrator and then you split the royalties from the, uh, the actual narration part with them. Or you can be a lunatic like me and get the gear and record your own. And then you get the full royalty. But uh, I've, been, I've been sort of kidding with Claudia. We've been naming, I've been calling this from the ghetto to the Gucci. Because I'm the ghetto and she's the Gucci. You'll see when she, when she gets up there, she's, she's top notch. She's a pro. She's what I can never afford. But I got the gear. And the gear, um, I have to, I have to, I get up at 4.30 in the morning to narrate my audio books because the planes start at 6.30 and they go to 11.30. And what Lois said about the barking dogs and the, the kid running across in his diapers or something like that, that's, that's a reality. Or I found, out, uh, I found out the hard way that on Wednesdays was the day that the landscapers came, <laughs> right? So I'm in there in the middle of this thing, and I'm like, I'm going to kill somebody, right? <laughs> Those things happen. If you forget, I left the door open, and then the refrigerator was kicking in. And she'll probably give you some hints. We were joking about you sitting there, and you got a really good narrative going, and you haven't fudged the words, and all of a sudden your stomach goes, right? And it's a good mic. Picks up on it. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration. So one of the things I want to do is I'm going to give you a brief overview of, of the hardware you can get to do this yourself. But I have to warn you, I have an extensive, extensive technical background. I know this stuff. The Air Force sent me to school for nine months. I worked in it all of my life. And um, trying to get the recording, from doing audiobooks and trying to get the recording going, that stuff glitches all the time. It hangs up Pro Tools and bleh. And you got to start and go over again and all that. And I'm experienced. And I was ready to put my fist through the screen more than once, I'll tell you. And I was losing my mind more than once. And I got a good friend, uh, Mick. He, thank you. He, um, he was Alice Cooper's lead guitar player for the Billion Dollar Babies album tour. He's a really good friend of mine. And a few times I was totally losing my mind. I called him up, Mick, help me. I can't. Oh, well, you, you do this, you do that, you tweak this, do that. Bang, you got me going again. So if you have somebody you can help with, it's really challenging. If you want to narrate your own audiobooks, you better be ready for some grief. You better be ready for really getting challenged with noises. Or I'd be in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden a freaking Harley would go by. Right? Then you got to back up. All of those things. So you got to be ready for that. Or hire a narrator, and you don't have to worry about it. And just really, really briefly, on the audio, uh, Audible, if you hire a narrator, the first thing they do is they sort of audition. They send you two minutes. If you like that, then they have to send you 15 minutes. And if you like that, you can go forward. But I had a guy, and I told him I wanted a Boston accent for one of my novels, and the whole thing was an artist broke. And I, I said, dude, this is not what I wanted. You know, I went, okay, and he just left. I mean, he narrated a whole book for nothing. And if you'd have listened to what I asked in the first place, so there's all these things you got to do, and if you have somebody else narrate it, you got to proof it. You got to listen, and you got to be able to go, okay, you know, chapter three, one minute and twenty-one seconds. You said, you said, uh, 
instead of fudge or whatever like that. So there's a lot of things. And again, I could address that more. I don't want to go on, but I want to slide over this. So uh, I just got a couple of things I want to show you up here on the screen. And Claudia's got some great things too. And then we'll get everybody going together. And by the way, all of my podcasts I have on my website, I have audio and I have video. And they're all there. So people can go back over and over again. They can listen all they want. And again, they're getting content. They're going to get information that doesn't cost them anything. So it's, it's always not about, even though it is in the end, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. Well, if you're doing it, I always, I'm a fan of the soft sell, right? If they come up and they go, you know, oh, wow, that was great. But well, if you really like that one, you should get the book. And so it happens to be over here, by the way. But I'm always about the soft sell because the competition is insane. And with all the e-publishing that goes on now, 90% of it is crap. That's just my opinion. In my universe. Anybody and their mother can publish a book right now. So everybody thinks they wrote the greatest bestsellers. But most of them are crap. They're not, they're, I can. Well, you can go look at their numbers and the audience has decided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, I have another, I have a number of musician friends because I'm a musician myself. And um, I got some good information. So I wanted to show you guys really quick. This interface I got is M Audio. 200 bucks, headset, a nice sensitive microphone, an interface that plugs into your, to your USB port. Oh, well, it's a big screen, and you can ask me later. But So uh, if, you go, if you want to write this down, it's M-Audio, USB-C audio interface. I don't think, think you need the rest of it. But uh, what I mentioned earlier is the beauty of this is not only does it work for recording audiobooks, it's perfect for podcasts. And you look really cool if you do one that's on TV or if it's, if it's a video, and then you're, in, and you're there with your headphones and your pro-looking microphone. You actually look like you know what you're doing. That helps. Did you get it? Yeah. yeah. Good. And again, if you want to contact me later, you know, the other thing I like to do is my business cards just have my name. And I tell everybody that um, all you have to do is Google my name, and the first thing that comes up is my website. And there's a contact form, and you can find me. Because when I do like coast to coast, I get a lot of wackos. And a lot of the stuff I write about and stuff, I get kooks, so I need a kook filter. So it's a very good kook filter. And the other thing that happens, like, like on Coast to Coast, we have call-in guests, and you want to talk getting broadsided. And the, the host, George Nori, he gets really bizarre ones at this stuff. And you go, well, well, Matt, what do, you get, what do you have to say about that? And then he just gives it to me. But I like that. I like the spontaneity. Anyway, so this is a setup. This has worked really good for me. Not no worries. And I got um, Pro Tools, which I prefer. And Ableton is the other one, but they, they lock up, they have glitches, and you just got to work around it. And you should have a little bit of technical savvy or somebody. Yeah, you got a quick question, Rachel? Yeah, I, I'm just wondering, because I'm thinking about for, for podcasts where you're also being videoed because they yeah. put it on YouTube. Yeah. Do, are the headphones necessary? Like, do you have to be wearing Because I'm thinking you, about harsh and the you, look. So. You don't have to, okay. but you will get a better quality. And the most, almost all the hosts I've worked with prefer them. No, it's not. You just don't get the quality. Okay. Some of them do, 
But of course, some podcasts are doing really well. Some are just only have a few hundred listeners. Uh, but again, once you get on one and you start to do it, more people hear you and they want you on theirs. And that's how I do it. Anyway, yeah, sure. So then um, the other thing, and there are other versions of this, but this is a wonderful isolation shield where you can put around you to keep out the frickin' Harleys and the, and the weed whackers and the other things that try to get in there and all of that. And this is just one. There's a, there are bigger ones. You can even buy booths depending on how much. They even talk about just going in your closet and lining the walls. There's a number of ways, but you really want to be as close as you can be to studio quality. And Claudia will tell you she lives in a black box to make money for a living. Um, and this is just one, but I just wanted to give you an example. And then the other little piece here is I got this was $38.44. It's a nice boom stand. I mean, you got that coming in with the microphone and you're on their video, you know, and they're walking to you and you're sitting there and you got your boom stand coming with your microphone. You actually look like you know what you're doing. Uh, and that helps. So it's all in the presentation. And you want a good background. You don't want your dirty laundry back there. Uh, and then some of them, like if they're doing Zoom, you can pick your own backgrounds. I always pick the jungle for my, my jungle tombo. Um, and you can do that. So presentation is everything. <laughs>